Well, good morning. We have some announcements. Kendi says she already knows what they all are. On Wednesdays, we're feeding the homeless. Pretty excited about that, huh? Not then, this Wednesday. Yeah, this Wednesday we're out of town. They're still, they still do it. And if anybody ever wants to, you can always go without us. But we'll be back next Wednesday. And it sounds like you guys will too, so... And then the women's study, that's the wrong date. I know. Before I send it out, I'll fix the date. And then the men's study, I don't know, the 23rd would be two weeks from the last one. But you're gone and I'm gone. So I was thinking about just doing it August 6th. That'd be like the next regular schedule. Yeah. So that's what I, we were thinking for the men. So um, youth night, I think is this Thursday night. Are we doing it this Thursday? Sure. Wait. What's going on this Thursday? I'm, I think it's a go, but Kylie has not reached out. Okay. And Aniston and Shay, you guys can invite whoever you want to. We're still going to do chosen. Yeah. Do the snippets of the chosen. Mm -hmm. Play dance, hang out, maybe dance party. <laughs> I, I retired. Yeah. I do work that day. I was doing, I was, um, we'll do it again. Yeah. I don't like dance parties. Okay. And then email updates. Let's try and send out an email at the beginning of the week, let you know what we're doing. Um, and so, but I think I have everybody's email that's in the room. So we're good. You haven't been getting it? You're so funny. You are funny. Okay. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. I thank you for the way you love us, the way you guide us, the way you provide for us. Lord, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross, for the way that you forgive each and every one of our sins, no matter what they are, that none of them can separate us from you. Um, I just ask that you would give us hearts to receive your word today, ears to hear your message, the words that you have for us, that your words will be spoken. I ask that you watch over everyone that is connected here with this fellowship and that you would bless them that you would keep them safe physically and spiritually keep the enemy from working against them and that you would draw each person closer to you that you would meet us right where we're at you know what we're thinking you know what we're going through that you would come alongside of us guide us um, open the doors you want us to walk through close the ones you don't i do ask that you watch over our community our leadership um, in this community and in this state and in this nation that You've put them there that they would choose to follow you and to be guided by you. Um, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to go, we'll start off in the New American Standard Bible. And then we'll go back to the New Living Translation, and at the end we'll finish in the New American Standard Bible. And I'll explain why. Um, and it's for relatively minor things, but the Bible says that I'm held to a stricter judgment if you're going to teach. And I take that seriously, and I want to make sure that I'm teaching exactly the way God wants it done. Um, and so the New Living Translation has just a little bit different here at the end of verse 2. And I'll explain that. But 
we'll start, yeah, we'll start in Romans. We'll start here, verse 1 and 2, um, and then we'll talk about it. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll be in, in Romans, for the most part, we'll bounce around a little bit today, kind of like we always do. But that's the whole Bible explaining it to us, not taking one thing out of context. So, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. So the New Living Translation at the end of verse 2 there says we share in the glory of God, and I think that that's just not quite right. I don't ever read that we share God's glory. God's glory is for him and him alone. And we'll learn today, people ask, well, what's the purpose of life? Why are we here? Well, God's going to explain that to us. And it has to do with his glory. So it's pretty exciting. So that's the reason that we jump over to the, we're not using the New Living Translation for the first two verses. It's just because the, when they say that we share God's glory, that's not how I understand it. And that's definitely not the way I want to teach it. I want to be, well, I am responsible for what we say here and so that's important to me. So that's why I go back and forth. Um, if something doesn't seem quite right, I don't want to teach that way. And I don't just want to go with the flow. So, so we don't share in God's glory. God's glory is for him and him alone. Um, and we'll learn what the meaning of life is and what it, and it relates to God's glory. And it's pretty exciting. But to recap how we got here through the book of Romans, you know, for the, the first four chapters, Paul started out in chapter 1 giving us the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is. He's the Savior. He died for our sins. Um, Paul explains that salvation is available to everyone who believes, not just the Jews. Um, Paul then points out the various sins in our lives and reminds us of God's anger towards sin, that God doesn't put up with sin, that sin separates us from God, and God takes sin seriously. Um, and then Paul reminds us that we're all sinners, and he warns us not to judge others for their sins or the things that they're doing in their life because your life is probably no better. Um, then we read about what Jesus said about judging others, that first we need to remove the log out of our own eye before we can focus on the speck in our friend's eye. You know, we have plenty going on in our own lives that we focus on ourselves. And how much better off would the world be if they focused, everyone in this world focused on themselves, on, on doing what's right, on honoring God, and not worried about what everyone else is doing. You know, how much of a difference would that make? And there's a reason that God tells us that, because that's what we need to do. That's what's best for us. That's what's best for those around us. That's how we can love our neighbors, is to be a light and a witness to them. And we're going to get to hear about that at the end today, too, of what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul's kind of building up all along the way. Then Paul makes it clear that, that God isn't after sacrifices or sacraments, such as circumcision. We went through that, but really God is after our hearts. And if our hearts aren't right with, with God, everything else is kind of worthless. There's no point in it. Um, Paul then puts everyone on this level playing field, telling us that we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. No one person is better than the other. And that far enough apart from God, there's no limit to the amount of sin that we're capable of. Um, and if you're thinking, oh, not me, I'm, I'm not that bad a person, you're just, you're kidding yourself. You're lying to yourself. There's no amount of sin that we're not capable of far enough apart from God. Um, 
and that only God is good, that we're not good. There's no such thing as, oh, I'm a good person, I'll make it into heaven. That's not how it works. Paul made it clear that receiving Jesus, believing in Jesus is the only way to, to receive salvation. It's a free gift from God. Paul took us back to the Old Testament. We went through Psalms 14 and 53 where he reminded us um, that the foolish choose to remain ignorant of God and that the wicked refuse to live in God's truths. That they know what the truths are, but they choose not to. Um, they choose to live a life separate from God. That's their choice. Um, and we get to think of our lives. How we live our lives is a choice. Do we get to love Love is a choice, not a feeling. We've kind of been over that a few times. Um, then Paul took us to Isaiah 59, where he reminds us that God is not too weak to save us, but it's our sin that separates us from God. So all sin separates you from God. God can't be a part of sin. God is perfect and pure and righteous and holy, and he can't be a part of sin. So there's no sin that, that, that comes together with God. He's separate from all of it. And it's our sin that that separates us from him. Then we talked about without confession of sin, there can be no repentance. Unless unless you're willing to admit that I've sinned, that I've I've sinned against you, God, there can't be a repentance of your heart. Um, And without repentance of your heart, there's no need for Jesus. If you're not willing to repent, if you're not willing to say that I once lived this way, apart from you, God, opposite of you, I've done these sinful things, but now I want to repent. I want to turn and do the opposite. I want to walk with you, God. If you, if you can't get to that place, then there's no need for Jesus in your life, is what Paul's saying. So, but God doesn't leave us there without any hope. Um, God shows us in Romans, we went to in verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 21, that the, made, the way to be made right with, with God it doesn't come by keeping the law, isn't by being perfect, because none of us are perfect. We've all fallen short, but it's by believing in Jesus, by believing in the Messiah to come. And Paul showed us that, that God promised the Messiah all throughout the Old Testament, way back in the beginning, in Genesis, when the fall of man happened and Satan tempted Eve and they, she ate the apple and Adam ate the apple and, and sinned against God or not the apple, the fruit, and sinned against God. Um, the right then and there, God made it clear that through the woman's seed that we would be saved. And the women don't have seed. So right there, God was speaking of the virgin birth, that how he would bring his son, how he'd bring salvation to the world, how he would make right what men have screwed up, men and women. Um, and that we're right with God, we're in right standing with God when we place our faith in Jesus, no matter who we are. And placing our faith in Jesus is believing. That's what faith is. Faith is believing that Jesus is God, that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus lived a sinless life. Then Paul took us to, to look at Abraham's life, and he showed us that when God forgives, he truly does remove it from our record. We got to read that at the end of chapter 4. We looked at in Abraham's life, and it talked about how faithful he was, and he never wavered. But then when we went back to Genesis and read the account, we read that Abraham laughed at God. So he, he did waver. He didn't believe him. Um, but God removed that from his record. At some point, Abraham asked for forgiveness. Jesus' death on the cross removes sin from us. doesn't just cover it up, but removes it from our record. 
And it's like we never sinned. And that's how God wrote in the end of Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was faithful. He lived this righteous life. So, so now God's going to teach us when we face troubles, what do we do? What do we do when hard times come? And that we get to, and what he's going to show us is that we get to enter into his throne room and make our requests directly to him. That he hears us, that he loves us, that when our prayers as believers line up with his will, line up with God's word, he answers them every time. He made that clear to us um, last week. So, to look a little deeper into what God says about coming directly to him, what that means, um, we're going to go to Hebrews 4.16 and Ephesians 3.12. And they'll be up on the screen. We'll bounce around a little bit, but we'll always be coming back to Romans. So if you leave Romans, hold your finger there so you can come back to it easy. Um, but we'll first start off in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And we're going to see what this is talking about, where we get to come directly to God and what that means. And, and it's when God mentions things more than once in his word, you know, I think you can take that as the importance that he puts on it. You know, the number of times that he mentions it, repeating it over and over to us, that he, he finds that to be very important. So, So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So when we're in times of trouble, what can we do? We can pray. That's what he's talking about. When we pray, it's going directly to God, right into his throne room, and he hears us. And when we need him most, he's always there for us. Um, and Ephesians 3, 12 and 13 kind of says the same thing. Because of Christ and our faith in him, now we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. And this is Paul writing this. I am suffering for you. So you should feel honored. Um, so we can find grace, and grace is this undeserved, unmerited favor with God, an undeserved gift from God um, when we need it the most, when we're in times of trouble, and we can come directly to God. When we pray, it's like going directly into to his room and, and opening the door and sitting down with him and talking to him. That's what it's like when we pray. And, and it's no certain, you have to do it a certain way. You can pray anywhere, anytime. With your eyes open, your eyes closed, driving down the road, sitting somewhere, praying in your head, you can always talk to God and he is always listening. And, and what the Bible is saying here is that we get to go directly to him. That we're, it's like you're sitting right across from him, having this conversation, telling him what you need. And especially in times of trouble, when things are hard, when you're going through problems, he's there to listen. Um, and it's only because of the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. When he died on the cross, um, he lived this sinless life. So the, the penalty of sin was death. The Bible makes that clear way back in the Old Testament. But Jesus lived this sinless life, and when he died, death couldn't hold him because that was not his penalty. He didn't do anything to deserve that. 
So he defeated sin and death on the cross. And you get to see that. We'll take a look at that. In Mark chapter 15, verse 37, God kind of paints this very vivid picture of what this means. Um, and he, God uses his stories to teach us in, in the way of parables. He uses um, literal objects to, to show us what he means, and that's what he does here. And here in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 37, we'll just take a look at when Jesus died on the cross and, uh, and what, that, what transpired there and kind of what that means. Um, so b- before we read in Mark 15, I just want to explain, this is a picture of the, the temple, the temple that they would go and worship. And the, the place that's labeled the Holy of Holies is also called the Most Holy Place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where God's presence would have been. Now, that doesn't mean that God is limited to that one place. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But he was letting his people, the Israelites, know, I am with you always. And this was, you know, in their city, this is where I'm at. I'm always here with you. When he led them out of of Egypt, he led them and said, I'm with you. You know, fire and a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And that was God's presence leading them. Follow me. So he's always making it clear to them that he's always with them. But that doesn't mean he's limited somehow to this, the Ark of the Covenant, this box or this room. No, God is everywhere. But it's a, it's a figure, not necessarily a figure of speech, but God is just giving them a, a physical, hey, I'm right here with you. I'm amongst you. I'm, I'm always with you. I never leave you. So anyways, that center room there, the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, there's a curtain that, that separates it. Um, and we're going to read about what happened to that curtain. And this is kind of a little bit better picture. So the veil there is this big curtain that's up and down. You have this inner room where you can see the, the Ark of the Covenant is labeled. The Holy of Holies, the most holy place. The priest would go in there once a year to make an offering or sacrifice for the people. An atonement for their sins. Um, and they believe that that's where the presence of God was, that you were entering into God's presence when you went into that room and that the, the priest would go in and pray for the people and offer this sacrifice um, to make atonement for their sins, to cover up the sins of the nation. So this big veil that's there is probably somewhere close to 30 feet tall. Um, and it, it doesn't sound like it's very thin. Well, I've heard it taught that it's very thick I couldn't find I couldn't find that in the Bible, so I, I didn't want to say that today. I don't think it's it's not a thin curtain by any means. It's not like a sheet that's up there. It's pretty substantial. How thick it is, um, I couldn't quite find where to say that. But this is a pretty significant veil that's that's up there, or a curtain that's separating it. You know, I kind of think like movie theaters or like production theaters. You have the curtains that separate things, and they're usually pretty thick and heavy. You know, and I think that this one is probably even more so, even more thick and more heavy. So we're going to read what happens to this curtain when Jesus died and the significance of that, if that makes sense. So, so Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 37. So Jesus at this point is on the cross and, and um, has been up there for a while and he... Uh, he has shouted at, at the, the end, 
my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Um, and then people are thinking that he's calling down Elijah and they were waiting to see what happens. And then we pick it up here in verse 37 where he cries out again. Um, and then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. So that's the point where he, he died. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So that big curtain that we looked at, that 30 foot tall curtain, at the moment that Jesus died, the very moment, it's ripped in two from the top to the bottom. It rips, which seems pretty significant to me. Seems pretty amazing. And when the Roman officer stood facing him, saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. And so that was the moment that Jesus died and the curtain gets ripped. And we read that in other gospel accounts too. You can read that in Mark. You can read that in Luke. That the curtain or that veil is ripped from the very top all the way to the bottom. Ripped open. And that's significant. Um, this explains a little bit more of what it means by Jesus' finished work on the cross. So the moment that he died, he defeated sin and death. Because he, he lived this sinless life. He didn't deserve to die. Um, he was perfect. He was loving. But... He was killed, um, even murdered, and death couldn't hold him because he had no sin in him. Where if we were to die, death could hold us because we are sinful people, each and every one of us. Paul's made that clear up until this point. Um, but our belief in Jesus, our belief that he lived this sinless life is what makes us right with God. And that's how we have access into God's presence. Um, and that's what that ripping that veil does. It's a, a symbolic painting a picture for us that that's where God's presence was in that room and when Jesus died that curtain that separated the people from God was ripped open was tore apart that there is no separation that we get to come freely into God's presence God's making that clear that that us as believers living this life after Jesus death we have free access to God every single time we pray it's like going into his room and talking to him sitting down telling him what we're going through um, and really what this signifies too is that the, the battle, the war is over that sin and death were defeated on the cross um, and it's our choice to receive that or not when we're going through these tough times that the battle's over um, the temptations that we face um, have already been defeated that, that Jesus is more powerful than all of that the the things that, that want to take us away from him, the things that we think might be good, that we know we shouldn't be doing, that God is more powerful than that. And when we ask him, Jesus, please help us. God, please help us away from this sinful thing, away from these things I shouldn't be doing, that he answers that prayer every single time. Um, so we need to remember that that God has defeated sin and death, that they have no power over us. And we need that reminder even more so when we're going through tough times, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through difficult times. Um, sometimes it's easy to, to forget about that. And God's kind of the last place that we go. You know, I've exhausted all the other, all the other things I could be doing. Oh, I forgot. Maybe I should pray. Maybe I should pray in, in one last ditch effort, you know, this is my only hope. When God should be our first hope, if we turn to him first, he'll always help us and always guide us. He might not answer our prayers the way we want, but he'll always answer our prayers when they line up with his word, with his will. Um, 
So we'll go back to Romans chapter 5. We'll pick it up in, in verse 3 here. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Um, so one thing we learn out of these verses is that trials and problems usually last a lot longer than we want. In order to build endurance, you know, if I were to run from the family room here to the kitchen, I probably didn't build any endurance. I probably didn't strengthen my legs or my lungs or my heart. But to build this endurance usually takes a while. Miles of running or exercise or, you know, long minutes of of exercise, getting your heart and your lungs breathing and working. Um, so when we read here that these trials and troubles and problems we go through build and develop endurance, that means that they probably last a while. And that's not easy. That's not easy to go through. And, and we can get stuck thinking, God, when is this going to be over? How much more can I take? Um, but God is telling us that it's not in vain that we develop this endurance because it strengthens our character. And our character strengthens our confident hope in our salvation. So what's this hope? It's not the, the worldly hope. And he makes that clear in verse 5. This hope will not lead to disappointment. Oh, I, I hope we win the lottery. I hope that we have a good day today. Um, and you're just kind of throwing it up there. 50-50 chance. No, this hope doesn't lead to disappointment. God's hope is a guarantee that we have this guarantee of salvation and that his guarantee will not lead to disappointment is what he's saying. So, um, I do want to go to 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 22 um, and take a little bit deeper look at what God, when he says that he's giving us his Holy Spirit and how that relates to our confident hope and what that means. Because God explains the significance of that, you know, that he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And, and what does that mean? Um, and God explains that here, both here in Second Corinthians and in, we'll take a look at Ephesians, two places where God explains that a little bit more. So in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Um, so here he says that the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. Here's the first installment of, of, the, of what is coming to us. Um, it's like a down payment. Here's your guarantee. This is how you know this is going to happen. God is going to do everything he says he's going to do. And the, and the first way he shows us that is by sending us his Holy Spirit into our lives. Um, and the Holy Spirit has is, is been convicting us before we knew Jesus to bring ourselves to, to know him, to receive him. And then once we do, the Holy Spirit then guides us what's right and what's not. You know, do we love our friends? Do we love our enemies? Do we treat them the way we're supposed to? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And God's saying... 
when I send my spirit to you, you'll know it. You'll, your, his word comes alive. We begin to understand his word more. And that's a, the first down payment of a guarantee that he's given us. That's how we know that he's going to do everything else he said. This is the, the first step. Um, and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 also explains this. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by changing you, the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Um, so we were bought with a price. And that price we were bought with was Jesus' blood. God purchased us. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. Jesus died on the cross, um, took on sin and death. God did all the work, and all we have to do is receive that free gift, that free gift of salvation. And the reason that he purchased us was to set us free from sin, free from sin, free from death, um, that we could have eternal life with him, that we could live with him. That's all he wants. He wants us to come into his throne room. He wants us to talk to him. He wants that relationship with him. You know, that's the point of all this. If that's what love is. Love is us choosing to have a relationship with God. It's kind of like as a parent or as a kid, you go somewhere away from your parents and what do you want? Well, you want them to call you and check on you and see how things are going, right? Is that important to you as a kid when you're away from your parents? Yep. So it's kind of the same with God. That's all God wants. He just wants us to call and check with him and tell him how things are going. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from us because he loves us that much. So the reason he purchased us was to set us free from sin and death. Um, it is also so that we would praise him and bring him glory. So there at the end of, of verse 14, he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Okay? So when people ask, well, what's the meaning of life? Well, this is God's answer right here. Why did he, why did he send his son to die for us? Why did he purchase us? Why? Because we, he, what he wants is a relationship with us. And what we're to do is to praise him and to bring him glory. Everything we do, we're to bring him glory. How we live, how we love others, how we treat others, how we interact with people at softball games or at basketball games or gymnastics or in work or at school, that we're to love them. And, and he's going to explain that to us here in the next few verses in Romans. Um, but the purpose of life is, is answered right here. That he did this so that we would praise him and bring him glory. So that's what we're to do. We're to glorify God. So we'll go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. So when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
So when we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. When we were at enmity with God, Jesus died for us. When we wanted nothing to do with God, Jesus died for us. When we were caught up in the most unimaginable sins, Jesus died for us. Um, and that's significant. But it doesn't have to go that way. It doesn't have to go far, far away from God. You can come to know God and receive him early on in life before you've made some bad, bad decisions. And he can refine you and begin to, to make you more like him. And that's what God does. He, they call it sanctification in the Bible. And it's a process of us being more like Jesus. And that's what we should desire. That's what we should want. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to love others. I want to be a light and a witness. Um, so... To show kind of more of this, that he died for us while we were still sinners, and, and who does God love, and, and who is his heart for? I think we get to see this when Matthew, the, Matthew that wrote the book of Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. When he gets saved, you get to see what God's heart is. What is Jesus' heart towards, towards the people that aren't saved, towards sinners? And we read about that in, in Mark chapter 2, um, starting in verse 17. Um, and in Mark, he calls him Levi. So Matthew is the Greek name, for, and Levi would be the Hebrew name. Same name, just different, same person. Um, just one way to say it in Greek and one way to say it in Hebrew is what it is. But when we look at this, we see God's heart. When, if you want to know what God's heart is or what God thinks, look and see what Jesus did. Jesus is God. Was God here on earth? So when he speaks, when Jesus says something, pay attention to what he says and you get to know what does God, what upsets God, what makes God happy, what um, is God like? Well, he shows us because he sent his son who was fully God to this earth. So we'll pick it up here in Mark um, chapter 2, verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, which is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So Jesus had a heart for the disreputable sinners. Um, this is who he chose to spend his time with, and this is who came to follow him. It wasn't the, the righteous and the perfect, it was the disreputable sinners. Um, and then we'll see what the, what the righteous have to say about this and how Jesus answers him. And this is the, this is the important part. But when the teachers of religious law saw the Pharisees, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people too. I have come to call on those I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
So Jesus came not for those who think they were righteous, who think I'm good, I don't need God, I'm a good person. No, he came for those who know that they are sinners. Um, And that's the significance. While we were still sinners, Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for us. At any point, he could have walked away. He could have said, nope, I'm not doing this. I don't want to be a part of this. You know, called down his angels and, and rescued him, but he didn't. He chose to willingly die for us in our place while we were still sinners. Because that's who he came to save. He came to save the, the people that know that they are sinners. Those who will admit, will confess their sins, that I am a sinner, but I want to live a life with you, Jesus. I want to repent and turn the other way. And that's the important thing. We all make mistakes. We're going to screw up. But do we ask God to forgive us? Do we repent and turn back to him? No. So, we'll go back and we'll finish here in Romans chapter 5. So much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. So we've been reconciled, we've been made right with God. Um, and here we go back to the, the New American Standard. Um, and that's because in verse 10, they replace the word reconciled with friend, that we've been a friend of God. And I think that that may be taking things a little bit too loosely. Um, God has this self-sacrificing love for us, this agape love, where Jesus was willing to give his life for us. God doesn't have a brotherly love for us or the phileo love. Um, so I don't see being able to replace the word reconciled is I don't see it as interchangeable with friendship. Other places that the word reconciled is used is, is when they're talking about if a man and a woman divorce, that the woman was not to remarry um, unless she was reconciled with her husband. Well, being reconciled in that situation isn't coming back together in a friendship. Um, it's a different relationship. And that's the same with us and God. God's not our friend, our buddy, our pal. And people that kind of bring God down to that level, I think, do a very big disrespect. God is sovereign. He's almighty. He's all-powerful, creator of everything seen and unseen. Um, and he's not brought down to the level of, you know, hey, bro, that doesn't, that's not where God's at. So I, the friendship thing, you know, he's not our buddy or pal. That's not where it is. Um, he's almighty, and he deserves to be worshipped as such, and we should be reverent in that. We should um, look at him in that way. And the reason that we're able to have this reconciliation, this being made right with God, is because of Jesus' work on the cross. And we'll hear that over and over again. And, it's, and God repeats it over and over again because he wants it to make it clear to us, you know, that this is why. The only reason that you have this salvation, the only reason you have this freedom from sin is because of Jesus' work on the cross. Because he was willing to die in our place and take away sin and death from us. Um, so we'll finish up today. We'll, we're going to finish up today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and we'll go through a few verses there. 
and just look at further what is this being reconciled with God. What does that mean and what does he call us to do? So now we've been reconciled with God, we've been made right with God. What do we do? And he explains that here, you know, that Jesus died for everyone, every single person. There's no people that he didn't come to, to save. It's God's heart that all would be saved, that all would turn from sin and repent and come to know him, that heaven would be filled with everyone that he created. That's God's heart. Um, and that when, we're, when we receive Jesus, that we come to this new life in him and that he changes us. And that's what we'll pick up here and where we'll finish off today. We'll finish off here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. So he died for everyone, so that those who receive his life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So Jesus died for everyone, is what he's saying here. That this new life um, that he gives us isn't for ourselves, isn't go live for ourselves, but that we might live for him. So what does that mean to live for God? Have you ever thought about that? I think oftentimes we get caught up in this selfishness. You know, when it comes to looking at sin, we want to look at other people's sin and not ours. But then really, we just want to live this life that's focused on us. And we all get caught up in that. And we all do that. And it is sin. Because we're told here that we're to live a life for for God. That our life isn't to be our own. The choices we make shouldn't be what's best for me, but what's best for God. What furthers his kingdom, what brings him glory. Because that's what we're told. The reason that he saved us was to bring him glory. So, um, then, I think this is important too, So in verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Um, at one time, we thought of Christ merely of a human point of view. And this is Paul writing it. They didn't see him as God. They saw him as, as a human, as a, maybe a prophet or something like that. And they realized that they're wrong, that they need to look past what they saw um, with a bigger picture, with a bigger lens. You know, And if they would have looked at it through the eyes of the scriptures, they would have known that Jesus is God. We've seen that all throughout the scripture. But what he says when we stop evaluating others from a human point of view, um, can we look past their sins? And when we go out and we feed the homeless, I think this is exactly what this is talking about. That you, you see some things that are, are sinful things, um, and, and it's, you can be quick to judge. Ooh, how could you live a life like that? I don't want to live a life like that. You know. And you look at them and you can look down on people. And you can do this with anyone. And you see some sinful things, some things that they're doing that aren't right, that they shouldn't be doing, um, and you can judge that. Or you can stop evaluating others from a human point of view, look past that sin, look at the person, and what does that person need? That person needs Jesus. 
And that's your opportunity to, to be a light and a witness to them, to love on them, to smile at them, to pray with them, to talk to them, um, and look past the sin to the heart of the person. And what does God want to do? What's his, he wants us to bring him glory. He wants us to make him known. And we'll read more about that here in the next few verses in, here in Second Corinthians. God makes that even more clear. But as we read through these verses, be thinking about that. That we're to look past people's faults and flaws, not to judge them, but to look past that to what does God want to do. And God wants them to come to know him. That's what he wants. And he's going to make that clear here. And he wants them to know that there's a new life waiting for them. That there's a life separate from, free from sin, free from death, that is waiting for them. So, we'll finish off here. 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll continue on verse 18 through 21. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our, for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So all of this is a free gift from God. Our reconciliation with him, our salvation, it's all a free gift. Um, and when we receive an amazing gift, an amazing free gift, what do we want to do? So I try to think of how you could relate this, and, and no matter how you relate it, it pales in comparison. Um, but when you have this amazing free gift or you get a really smoking deal, you want to tell everybody about it. So if I go down to the car dealership and I go buy a car, and for every car I buy, they're giving away a free truck, you know, for the month of, of July. What am I going to do? Well, I'm probably going to come back and tell Joey, hey, Joey, they're giving away free trucks down here at the car dealership. You better go hurry up and go down and get one before they run out, right? I'm going to tell people about this free gift, this amazing thing that's going on. And that's what God's saying here. You have this amazing free gift of, of being free from sin, having your sins removed from your record, being saved with Jesus, having eternity in heaven. You have this free gift, and what should we do? We should tell others about it. We should be ambassadors for God. We should be that light and a witness to tell other people. You know, God no longer is counting these sins against people. He's looking past, God is looking past their sins to who they are and what they need. And they need Jesus. And he has given us this message of reconciliation. Some of the other translations put it, this ministry of reconciliation, going out and, and letting other people know that God has come and he saved us. And he wants to do the same for them. He wants to set them free from sin, the same as he set us free. Not that we're sinless, but we should sin a whole lot less than we did before, before we knew him. That we're ambassadors for him, that we're to point people to Jesus. Um, and the best way to do that is through your testimony. I once lived this way, and after Jesus came into my life, I live a different way. Jesus came into my life and changed my life. This is the work that Jesus did for me. You don't have to be an expert in the Bible to tell someone about that. You don't have to know all the different places. Um, you just need to be able to talk about your life and the work that Jesus has done for you. And it doesn't have to be some dramatic testimony that you were um, living this crazy life. 
You could have gotten saved at the age of five years old, and you could tell people about that. I've been saved since I was five, and God has always done a work in my life. God has always been moving in my life. This is the things that God's done for me, and this is the thing that God has done for you. And that he's pleading for people to come back to God. or Point them, come back to God. Look at what he's done for me. He'll do the same for you. Um, he didn't do this for me because I'm special. Um, I once lived a sinful, selfish life until I came to know Jesus. Then everything changed, and now I live for him. And not because I deserve it, but because he loves me, and he loves you the same. And that's what we're to tell people. We're to go out with this message of reconciliation, that we can be made right with God through the, the blood of Jesus, through his death on the cross. Um, and that Jesus will do the same in their lives that he did for us. So that's the point. That's what Paul's telling us to go do to go share with everybody what Jesus has done. Go share this amazing free gift. Hey, Joey, they're giving out free trucks. You better go get yours. You would tell everyone about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's what we're to do. We're to go out and tell everyone about this amazing gift, this amazing deal that, that God has given us. Hey, if you believe in my son, I'll remove your sins. I won't count them against you. I'll forgive you. I'll bring you into my presence. Anytime you're in trouble, you can come directly to me. Go right up to God, and he'll, he'll answer. He'll hear you. He'll come alongside you. So, with that, do we have any questions? Amen. Amen? No questions? No. <laughs> no. So we can love on everyone. Even our, even our enemies. We kind of went over this last week. You know, it's one thing to love your friends. It's a whole lot harder to love your enemies. But God says that, with our enemies, we're supposed to pray for them and ask God to bless them. And that every time we pray, and it lines up with God's words, when God tells us to do something or to pray a certain way, when we do it, every single time Jesus says he answers that prayer. So when we pray for our enemies, um, when we bless them, when we do nice things for them, we're doing what God's asked. We're being those ambassadors, that light and a witness to those people around us. I just have a comment because it's kind of interesting. No matter what, no matter who you're, when you're talking about the homeless, because we're in, um, in our book, we're talking about Rahab, and she was a woman of, like, her, her, she was a prostitute, and lived this crazy, crazy life, and um, people looked down on her, and, but ironically, God used Amazing. I mean, just amazing to introduce us or the Israelites to the promised land. So, um, the other thing we talked about is sometimes, and we all, I do it, and I was explaining, there was a couple, twice in the last couple years where I was like, I really, really, really wanted to share Jesus, and I, I chickened out. So, it's a real thing. Like, when you say you really want to share it, it's super hard to do something. But it's like, I, 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 that's just a comment. And I, I said it's just so normal because it's like you don't want people to think, oh, here they come, the Jesus thumper. They're going to, like, give you the book. and the. So there's always, like, I, I always say, oh, there was, there was this moment. I could have done it, and I, I sort of chickened out. So for me, it's being a little more bold and confident that, you know, God's got it. And we, we should be sharing it. Yeah, God's got it. God's got it. Oh, yeah. Have you ever done that, though, where you're like, oh, I really want to share Jesus, and you're like, 
Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Oh yeah. Me and Aniston, we went to camp like two weeks ago. I don't know why, but I've never felt so connected to Jesus like I did at camp. Mm-hmm. I told me that. That's awesome. It was pretty cool that she said that because it just well we went camping one night. I don't know what we were Jackson remember, and it was just. Um, you know, you just, you, you kind of do the best you can, and we were amongst people that had probably been drinking super, super heavy, and, you know, probably didn't hear anything we said, but it was, you know, you could always share it, always share it, but sometimes it's hard, like, for, like, I, I'm just that, I, and I'm super talkative, but sometimes you go to do it, and you're like, oh, I'm such a chicken. Have you ever done that, though? For reals, I've done it. So now it's like one of those things where I'm like, you just have to, you know, at have God give me that strength and that peace that is okay to do that. And no matter what they say, whatever comes out, like when Matt was saying, I've only had a couple times where they said, I don't want you to pray for me or any of that. Because it's probably going to happen. But, yeah. That's Those pretty things. rare. I think it, yeah. it gets in our head more. I, I think, think that's the enemy that's trying, the enemy trying not to... Us, right? Oh, you don't want to do that. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going totally. to get mad at you. And that's usually not it. Mine is usually at Home Depot. Oh. Home Depots were like, oh, you should go pray for this person. And I would love to say, oh, yeah. And I've done it every time, but I don't. There's many times when I chickened out, like, oh, are you sure, God? So. So. Yeah. Yeah. Are we doing communion? Uh, I wasn't planning on it. I was. I've been planning on it since last church. I think Dad has. But he said last church time that we were going to do community. So. We tried to do it the first of the month. Yeah. Okay? We wait till then. Yeah. I'm very impatient, Dad. Right. You have to learn some patience. Yes. Okay. Sorry, guys. Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> we'll do the first of the month. Okay. Not that we don't want to do it. Yeah, I just didn't prepare. Huh? I just didn't prepare for it. I just like the juice, okay? I'm sure. I'm sure. So, okay. Anything we need to be praying for? Okay. Grandma's name? Leslie. Leslie? She's, I think she's able to keep her head up normal and everything now. Just has to, I think she's got to wear sunglasses. I feel like deja vu. Sure. I've heard of a surgery, but I, I think it was one of my clients, not necessarily the whole stomach. Yeah, they had to keep their head like down. Yeah, that's. That's how they had to sleep for like. Like a week or so. Yeah. Like and I was like, what? That would be hard. That would oh, be yeah. hard to sleep like that. She like, says she could look up like five minutes a day or something, or ten minutes a day for those first. It has to do with how it has to repair itself. Mm-hmm. I, I felt, yeah. I, I don't know if I could. I 
I would yeah. find myself looking up all the time. Well, I think they think hurt your neck. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, it was almost like they had to put it almost like on a massage bed where they just wait. That's how they wait. And just hang out like that. Yeah. Put a TV in front of you, like, um, it on was, the floor. Yeah. This was a long time ago. It was crazy. Okay. Yeah. We'll be that's space, though. It is. They, like, put a TV. That would be tough. Yeah. Hey, For the right words to speak, huh? Yes. There. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, about your will for us, um, how you open yourself up to us that we can come to you anytime, how you give us this very vivid picture of uh, how that works and, and when that worked and, and all of these different things that you bring together that only you could do through your word. I'm so thankful for your word, for how you guide us. Lord, I just ask you would um, bring healing to, to Matt's knee. Um, you would bring healing and comfort and guidance for Tim that you would um, you would comfort Joey and Austin and Chris um, I pray for patience and wisdom and strength for Cherry and for her family all of them um, for Shannon, for Leanne, for Aaron for Greg, for David for Randy, for Pat um, I ask you to bring peace for David and Nell that he's going through um, that you would bring healing to Christina's heart, um, that you would guide the doctors, um, that you would bring healing to Tyler's shoulder, um, and that you would bring healing to Rodney's back. That you would um, just help us, encourage us in friendship and fellowship with each other, um, to encourage each other in love and good deeds. I ask you to watch over the, the Sheriff's Department, the, the Elizabeth Police Department, and all the surrounding departments. You would protect them physically, you protect them spiritually, that they're on the front lines of what's going on, that you would keep them and their families safe with all that they see and all that they go through. Lord, I ask you would continue to guide us in a church that we could partner with in the South Sudan or somewhere in that region that we'd come alongside and love on and, and partner with. And Lord, I ask that you would watch over Leslie, that you would bring healing to her eye, that you would just um, heal everything just the way that they, they would they would want that everything would go smoothly the healing would take place quickly um, only by your hand by the work that you've done I ask you to give everyone safe travels today and you would give each of us the right words to speak this week um, as we go out into the world that we would be a light and a witness to you we'd be ambassadors for you telling other people about the good works that your son has done in our lives only because of him 
It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen.